Welcome to Shattered, the podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss mental illness. It's by a sufferer, for sufferers, and for the people that are looking to understand what it's like to live with mental illness. G'day, g'day. Today's Shattered is going to be a little bit different. During the week, I had the opportunity to catch up with a wonderful woman called Denise Mueller. Now, Denise is an American who wrote an article that was published, and we're going to put all the links to that article in all our Facebooks, our Instagrams, and everything, so that you can check out this article. It's quite amazing. And I was contacted by a company that connected me with Denise, thinking that she would be a great fit for Shattered the Podcast. And I've got to say, I had one of the most unique and incredible discussions with an absolute stranger that I've ever had in my life. And the interview didn't go as planned. Those of you that know how I like to interview, question, answer, get through the subject matter, let's do it. But the conversation with Denise became a conversation. And strangely enough... At the start of the interview, she asked me a question. So we're going to dive in with her question now. Hi, I'm Denise. How are you? No, um, I guess I just thought also you had a child that maybe had been suffering from what I'm starting to call emotionally gifted conditions, because (laughs) I feel like mental health has such a terrible stigma to it. Yeah. Um, And that if I think about my daughter, right, or depression or anxiety or anything else, you know, that part of our brain is somehow gifted, right? So my daughter was actually diagnosed as bipolar. I'm not actually sure that's what she is. We're sort of rethinking that. But if I think about that, and I think about her emotional pendulum just happens to be very, very wide, where Mm. others is very, very narrow. And isn't it a gift? to be able to feel things so intensely and immensely, right? But then how do you deal with that? So I'm sort of trying to relabel mental illness as emotional giftedness. I thought maybe you had a child too that was that was struggling or on a journey. Yeah, I have two daughters that are both struggling with their mental health. I, I would struggle calling it a gift, particularly for my youngest, because... We didn't know that there was an issue. And then one night she came out, kissed me goodnight. And the next morning we found her unconscious in bed. She'd soiled herself and she'd overdosed. Um, And we had no idea that there was any issue whatsoever. And in fact, we would have said that she was the most mentally healthy. So it really came out of the blue for us. But my older daughter, who she self-harms and has depression and anxiety, but I love that idea of giftedness because it takes a special kind of empathy for people that are living with a mental illness because they feel things so deeply that they, uh, they do have a gift. I have to, I'm, you're turning me around here. I'm, <laughs> I'm liking the way that you're going with it. This idea of giftedness would come out more and more throughout this interview. 
And it's one that I'm going to have to think about now. I'm going to have to spend some time kind of digesting it and unpacking it. So when I first read the article from Denise, I was blown away by her courage and her honesty. And I wondered how it came about that she would start talking about her own issues and the issues of her daughter. When I first started with Pioneer and Collective, my coach asked me what I'm passionate about, right? And and I'm a, a C-level executive and, you know, it was like, was it women in leadership and this and that and the other? And I'm like, yeah, but I feel like it's so saturated. And I started talking about my daughter. I thought to myself, you know, I've been a good example for my daughters, but I've realized that you know, how can we, ex, you know, expect there to be strong women leaders if we're not raising mentally strong females? And we, you know, there, there are issues with men and women, and it's not to sort of take away from what men struggle with. It's really about, if I think about, you know, the balance of of power, so to speak, in whatever industry, mm. right? Women Women tend to have it a little bit harder. And if you're girls tend to be a little bit more insecure. Girls tend to be a little bit more emotional. That's just, hey, that's who we are. And that's why we're great, right? That's just being the beauty of being female. Um, And so I started thinking about, well, how do we as a society talk about this in a way that is acceptable so that we can raise females, girls, young women, even adult women to recognize this and accept and, 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 and sort of reflect so that they can be stronger to be whoever they want to be, whether it's a CEO or a barista or a mom, right? It doesn't have to be a corporate. So um, in my daughter's journey, I found this new passion for something that ultimately I'll do someday is really focusing on changing the conversation, allowing for the conversation to happen, recognizing that it's almost in everybody Nobody, everybody is at risk for this. Mm. Every single person is at risk for this. And that's the conversation we're not having either. Once we discussed the why, we started talking about her particular situation and particularly the situation of one of her daughters. She's had challenges for a very long time. We've been in therapy and tried different medications and, you know, recognized early on some behaviors as early as six Hmm. but what happened was during the pandemic in july of 2020 she came to me and told me she was cutting yeah and i was like okay so your daughter tells you that she's self-harming where do you go from there so when i think about her journey it's a journey and it's going to be a journey forever and there'll Hmm. be ups and downs And it's about recognizing triggers and keeping yourself in a safe place. And just like putting on your seatbelt when you drive your car, Mm. right? You have to recognize where the dangers are, where the triggers could be and keeping yourself safe. So what happens next? And I thought we were on on a road to her being able to sort of um, have mechanisms in place to have the conversation or not. Come Christmas Eve, I got a call from her dad saying that, she really wanted to self-harm. And so my 18-year-old was driving her 16-year-old sister to the emergency room. And the trigger was a fight. I had twin 16-year-olds 
the twins had gotten into a fight. So it's like, it was a disaster. And it's like, I just, maybe like with your second daughter, I was just kind of like, well, how, how could this be? Yep. You know, we, we've done everything. She's medication, psychiatrist. And I realized as much as I knew from my own journey, when I had my first daughter and I was really, really, really depressed, Mm. suicidal, I thought I understood. And what I realized in talking to her is that this is the other thing that people don't realize is that everybody's journey, whatever the label is, okay, it's a label. It's this diagnosis, that diagnosis, right? And it just means you have a flavor of some sort of imbalance that makes you feel or, or, or it's as unique as DNA. Mm. So you cannot translate, you know, and that's the thing that actually struck me was my biggest learning is that the patient, the person who's going through this has to be able to articulate what it means for them. And my daughter said it so well. She's like, just because I may have the same thing as somebody else, it just doesn't mean it is the same thing. Yeah. You know, we're being bucketed as bipolar person, you know, personality disorder, major anxiety disorder, major, major, you know, that's just a, a label, but, you know, and so that, that was sort of the first thing that sort of um, mm. is there's not something wrong with any of us. There could be any moment in time that could trigger some sort of, you know, mental challenge. Yeah. Um, and I think COVID that's actually been the biggest tragedy of COVID is the lack of conversation of, yeah, there's the virus. Mm. And that's, that's a thing. You can see it, you can touch it, you can feel it. But the other sort of tragedy of this pandemic is the the impact on mental health. And I would dare say that 90% of the people are suffering in some way, shape, shape or form, and no one's saying anything about it. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I don't know how, how, how you feel. I mean, it's been incredibly difficult on my daughters. So my, I have three daughters. My, my older daughter has always struggled with um, anxiety. She's really, really, really bright. Um, and turns out when she was 18, just this past year, she was diagnosed as being autistic, which makes a complete sense to me now that I remember and it's good that she didn't get it diagnosed early otherwise i would have over indexed and ruined her life right oh my god she's autistic right like you know what i mean (laughs) but but recently my twin the twin um who's who hasn't been in treatment she went into a deep depression after christmas last year because she was the one her she was fighting her sister which was the traitor and interestingly enough she struggled with depression couldn't get out of bed failed the 10th grade Right. Like my daughter and this was my daughter who was sunshine and rainbows and everybody loved her, the best student. And she just like wouldn't get out of bed. Yeah. Like and so we did start seeing a therapist. But recently and she went the summer, she recovered a little bit. Um, But this this going back to school has stressed her. So we just went and saw a psychiatrist the first time. And what's interesting is. She has obviously some anxiety and some depression, but she also has PTSD Yeah, from the event Mm. of Christmas Eve. My background is working in behavior modification, uh, Mm -hmm. working with people with acquired brain injury, disability, uh, stroke, that sort of thing, and helping staff 
work with them through their negative behaviors. Yeah. So I've always worked in a female dominated industry. I, my mum is a force of nature. If a man can be a feminist, I think I come as close as, as, as you can. So I'm really interested in this conversation that you're having. You've now got three daughters that can look at an emotional kind of experience or trauma. How are you going to uh, work, mentor them or help them work through the fact that, yes, they've been through something and, it, yes, it's serious and, yes, it's life-altering, but it's not the end. Uh, yeah. They can achieve. They can be somebody. How are you going to have that conversation? What's that going to look like? So I'm already having those conversations. So I can take my daughters one at a time, right? Because they're all different. Um, yeah. My oldest, when you know, she, when she first went to get tested, she went to test it because she thought she was dyslexic. So she was in her first year of college. And she was taking in her French class. She's like, mom, I think I'm dyslexic. And, you know, McGill has these programs and she went and got tested and she sends me this funny text and it's like this meter and it's just autism, autism. I'm like, oh, you're autistic. She's like, yeah. And I go back to certain points in her childhood. and I'm like, this makes total sense. Yeah. I, you know, and so I said to her, she's like, are you disappointed? I'm like, why would I be disappointed? This is just how your brain works. Mm. And she's like. Well, I said, and I told her, I said, you know, it really is a good thing. You've, you've done perfectly fine on your own without yeah. this label, without this diagnosis. But what's, what's good for you, Emerson, is you now understand there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's something in your brain that works very differently. And that, you know, has had an impact on personal relationships. That's always been her issues. Couldn't make friends at nine years old, which is why I started seeing a counselor for her. Mm. She's had some bad boyfriends, which is typical for autistic women. And I said to her, I said, you now know that you have to work extra hard in recognizing certain things. Yeah. You're completely successful. You're at one of the best schools in the world, but you know, you've always struggled with relationships and you've always struggled with sort of, you know, um, if things don't go exactly your way, you just fly off the handle. You now understand the why. Mm. So the question for you is what are you going to do about it? Right. How are you going to how are you going to take this knowledge and, you know, protect yourself against bad relationships, but also help yourself make really good relationships and have good friends and being able to, you know, like, how are you going to train yourself to recognize social cues? Because she doesn't. Right. Mm. So that's the conversation with her. And, you know, she recognizes it. She's working on it and she's on a little medication to stop her from like flying off the handle and she's older now and she talks about it. And as far as my younger daughter, I'll take the two on the end. Well, actually, Ken is the middle. As far as the daughter who's got PTSD, who's been completely traumatized by this Christmas Eve event. She and I had a conversation just yesterday in the car. You know, I find the car is a great place to have these conversations because they can't leave. Yeah. They can't get out. <laughs> right. So you're stuck. Yeah. Um, and I am. I said, you know, how are you feeling? She's like, well, mom, it is Christmas. And I'm like, okay, so are you starting to get anxious? Christmas is coming up. She's like, maybe I don't want to think about it. And I'm like, well, given you've talked to Dr. Aaron, you have some PTSD. You have to remember that when we enter Christmas, it's going to be very triggering for you. Mm. So 
maybe we need to have the conversation. She's going back to her therapist today that you need to start talking about that now is to how, how you could feel in that environment and what you can do and what I can do to help you. And what I've realized is my daughters need to be accountable and they need to own their own journey Mm -hmm. because as a mom, I want to fix everything. And that just doesn't work. So I feel like my role is to facilitate a conversation and provide resources where they need them. Having heard all of that, I steered the conversation along the lines of some more of the individual conversations that Denise might have had with her daughters. You know, so I just try to have conversations to have herself reflect. I'm really proud of her because she has really opened up and she has conversations with me. I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to be upset, but I really feel like cutting myself. Yeah. She's like, are you mad? I said, do I like to hear this as a mother? No. Am I grateful you're telling me? Yes. And I want to fix it, but I know I can't. So you tell me what it is I can do to support you through this moment so that you don't. And she's like, well, I just needed to be able to tell you. And that's all I need from you right now. Hmm. And so I guess it's, it's me, you know, my mentoring of them is almost a journey of a mother trying not to be the, trying not to be the fixer. Yeah. So we're all kind of going through this together with our different roles. And so Every conversation I have, I really try to take a step back and almost not cage the initial reaction I have and really try to probe a little bit more without it sort of making me upset because it's upsetting to hear your kid wants to pet themselves. Yeah. All you want to do is like hide all the knives, Mm -hmm. you know, so I partner really strongly with her therapist because there are certain things mom can't have conversations with her. I've recognized that. Like, I, I guess the other thing I've recognized is as a parent, you have to recognize your limitations as to how you can help your kid. And that's why a therapist is important and sharing goes three times a week. I know my girls rely mostly on me for this, but I feel like I don't have the recipe for mentorship. I don't, I'm, it's, I'm learning every day with them as to what is helpful to them and what is not helpful, but I'm also dealing with my own emotions about I don't want my kids to suffer like this. Yeah. And you mentioned a conversation when your daughter came to you and said, I don't want you to be mad. Those are my favorite conversations because you know that they're telling you something that they don't. something raw that's coming. That's right. And something that they don't really want to tell you, but they know that they should. So, yeah, we congratulate them whenever they tell us one of those stories we we thank them profusely and we so, so do i and we celebrate yeah. the fact that they've reached out to us the one thing that i have with my daughters and and i wanted to ask you about it is i struggle with guilt a lot yeah. because my kids grew up with a dad with ptsd uh, they were both little when i tried to take my own life and whereas Other parents, like when I worked with people with disabilities, I used to tell the parents, why do you feel guilt? There's nothing to feel guilty about. Your kid's just got a condition. 
and it's so interesting when it happens to yourself. Yes. How do you deal with that guilt side, particularly when you are so open and honest in the way that you and Sheridan both share? When I struggled with my own depression, my kids weren't older. Like my, I, I have shared with my daughters that when my, when Emerson was born, she was awful, awful. And the things that like went through my head, like were ugly, like yeah. really ugly. Yep. And they're like, well, do you feel bad about that? I said, I did for a long time, but I realized I wasn't me. I, I wasn't me at the time. There were other things going on in my head that, that, that didn't allow the real me to be there. Yeah. I for shared and I said, I feel guilty because I, I wish I thought I knew and I, I wasn't listening enough to you. And I kind of feel like guilt is a useless emotion, hmm. right? It's, it's a useless emotion. It, it doesn't, it doesn't get you anywhere. So how, how do I deal with it? I'm like, okay, I can't undo what's happened. I can't undo where I was. I acknowledge and recognize that I'm honest about it. And I'm honest about where my head was. And I'm honest about how I came through it. And I'm honest about how I, but I also say, that's a part of me now. It's a part of me now. And it's a part of who I am. And it's made me who I am today. Every experience that's so big like that has made you who you are. The conversation that we have will continue. The article that I mentioned to you, you're going to find the links in all of our posts, but the article is called, I Thought I Understood My Daughter's Mental Illness, But I Had No Idea. And it's produced by the National Alliance on Mental Illness. As I said, all the links are there. Tune in soon for part two of our conversation with Denise Mueller. Have a great week, everybody. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Shattered, the podcast. I'd like to thank our producer, Meredith Brosnan, our executive producer, Torian Lau, and the band Adelaide for allowing us to use their song as our theme. Go to shatteredthepodcast.com for more information. Bound